Our Father in heaven, we come now in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. And truly, you are the Lord of heaven and the Lord of earth. And we declare that today with boldness. We declare it aloud as a church before you. And we praise your name, Jesus Christ. And I know who I am because I know whose I am today. We praise you, Jesus. We thank you for this opportunity to come together this weekend, to gather. And Lord, my prayer right now is that you would speak to each of our hearts today. God, may our hearts be open to the truth of your word that you have for us. And thank you for just the joy that's in your presence, God. And we love you and praise you in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. And you can have a seat. Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to see you today. And uh, we are going to talk about relationships and marriage today. But first, a moment of silence in mourning for our beloved Buckeyes who went down to ignominious defeat last night. They've got a lot of, a lot of work to do, I believe. And uh, some of us have a lot of work to do as well on our relationships and uh, our marriages. And that's what we're going to be talking about this week and the next several weeks. You know, people send me these things. Maybe you receive this also. Dear Tech Support, last year I upgraded from Boyfriend 5.0 to Husband 1.0 and noticed a distinct slowdown in overall system performance, (laughs) particularly in the flower and jewelry applications, which operated flawlessly under Boyfriend 5.0. In addition, Husband 1.0 uninstalled many other valuable programs, such as Romance 9.5 and Personal Attention 6.5, and then installed some undesirable programs, such as NFL 5.0, NASCAR 3.0, and Golf Clubs 4.1. I find that Conversation 8.0 no longer runs as well, and House Cleaning 2.6 simply crashes the system. I've tried running, nagging 5.3 to fix these problems, but to no avail. What can I do? Sign Desperate Housewife in Detroit. Dear Desperate, first, keep this in mind, Boyfriend 5.0 is an entertainment package, while Husband 1.0 is an operating system. (laughs) Please enter the command http.ithoughtyouloveme.htm and then try to download Tears 6.2. And don't forget to install the GILT 3.0 update. If that application works as designed, Husband 1.0 should then automatically run the application's Jewelry 2.0 and Flowers 3.5. But remember, overuse of the above application can cause Husband 1.0 to default to Grumpy Silence 2.5, Happy Hour 7.0, or Beer 6.1. Beer 6.1 is a very bad program that will download the Snoring Loudly beta. Whatever you do, do not install Mother-in-Law (laughs) 1.0. It runs a virus in the background that will eventually seize control of all your system resources. Also, do not attempt to reinstall the Boyfriend 5.0 program. These are unsupported applications and will crash Husband 1.0. In summary, Husband 1.0 is a great program, but it does have limited memory and cannot learn new applications quickly. You might also consider buying additional software to improve memory and performance. We recommend Hot Food 3.0 and Lingerie (laughs) 7.7. Good luck, technical support. (laughs) 
Well, we are going to talk about marriage and relationships these next several weeks. And what I'm going to say in the next 30 minutes will make me wildly popular with some of you and wildly unpopular with others of you. But I'm not going to apologize for what I'm going to say because I'm doing my best to represent God's viewpoint on marriage and relationships. I will, though, apologize in advance to those of you who may feel like I'm being a little bit insensitive to your particular situation, okay? So blanket apology here. I didn't prepare this with any particular individual or couple in mind, all right? So maybe you're here today and you're not married yet. You're single, but you hope to be married someday. And my counsel to you today would be, take good notes, Take good notes. Listen well today. God's way is flat out the best way to do marriage and relationships. And I hope that you will commit yourself to doing it God's way. Maybe you're here today and you are happily married. You've paid the price to have an awesome, you know, great one flesh kind of a marriage. So far you've done it God's way. And uh, I hope that what we talk about today will be very affirming for you. And that you'll hear God's whisper to you saying, way to go, way to go, you've done it well. But maybe you're here today and you're married, but you're saying to yourself, you know, props to them, but it's not working very well for us. Other couples seem to be happily married, but we're sure not happy. And for you, my prayer is that you will make a point of attending all three of these weekends where we talk about fireproofing your marriage that you'll get connected in a small group where you can kind of flesh out these themes that we're talking about on the weekend, and that you'll attend the movie, Fireproof, that's coming out in a couple of weeks. I'll tell you a little bit more about that later. I want to say to you today, your marriage is worth fighting for. Your marriage is worth making the effort for. And we believe around here that nothing is impossible with God. Nothing is impossible with God. Maybe you're here today and you're single again. And marriage just didn't work for you for whatever reason. And divorce occurred. I admit that today might be a little painful for you as we talk about these things. My hope and prayer for you is that as we take a good hard look at God's original design for marriage and His blueprints that... It'll give you some insight into your past and certainly some hope for your future. Well, the institution of marriage is taking quite a beating these days in our culture, wouldn't you say? Cultural revolutionaries are trying hard to redefine it. Many politicians and judges seem unwilling to stand up for it. You'd be hard-pressed to find a popular TV show or a recent movie that portrays a normal, healthy marriage in a positive light. Many celebrities these days are jumping in and out of marriages in, with dizzying frequency. I don't even try to keep up anymore. Do you? With, you know, who's with who now? <laughs> and in our culture, ever-increasing numbers of couples have decided to just forego marriage altogether and just live together, just cohabitate together without the benefit of a formal marriage ceremony and covenant. As one man said, in our day, marriage has an image problem. And it does. Not only that, but many couples who have taken that marriage plunge have discovered that the happily ever after fairy tale ending has turned out to be just that, fairy tale. 
And that can be disillusioning. Somehow that magical storybook feeling that they started out with, with such high hopes and expectations, now seems like a distant and fading memory. In the ebb and flow of daily life and struggles and work and stress and bills and kids, the intensity of their love has grown dim. And certainly that can happen. A few years ago, the Saturday Evening Post carried an article entitled The Seven Stages of a Married Cold. It reveals the reactions of a husband to his wife's colds during their first few years of marriage. It goes like this. First year, sugar dumpling. I'm really worried about my baby girl. You've got a bad sniffle there, and there's no telling about these things with all the strep going around these days. I'm putting you in the hospital this afternoon for a general checkup and a good rest. I know the food is lousy there, so I've ordered in from Rossini's. Year two. Listen, darling, I don't like the sound of that cough. I've called Doc Miller and asked him to rush over here. Now you go to bed like a good girl. Year three. Maybe you better lie down, honey. Nothing like a rest when you feel lousy. I'll bring you something. Have we got any canned soup around here? Year four. Now look, dear, be sensible. After you've fed the kids, washed the dishes, and finished the floors, you better lie down. Year five. Why don't you take a couple of aspirin? Year six. I wish you would just gargle or something instead of sitting around all night barking like a seal. Year seven. For Pete's sake, stop sneezing. You trying to give me pneumonia? It can happen, can it? Things that started out with such high hopes can deteriorate over time. If you want to pull the little study guide out of your worship folder there, I've put a little graphic on there that depicts what I've seen happen in many, many, many marriages throughout the years. Too many, really. Marriages that start out with red-hot romance, high hopes, long hugs, then after a few weeks or months or years, get ambushed by reality. Reality sets in. Takes away some of the sparkle. A few years of that and resentment can seep into a spouse's heart that can lead to kind of an inner rage that's born out of disillusionment. And at that point of frustration, spouses often find themselves at a crossroads of sorts with three paths laid out before them. And they can choose any one of the three. I've seen many people take this first route that I call refocusing. They, they just start to refocus. They inwardly check out of their marriage and they start focusing their ener energies elsewhere. On their job, their hobby, oftentimes their children, their kids, even their ministry. And they begin to live under the same roof with their spouse as married singles in a loveless marriage. Others take a more secretive route that we could call rendezvous. You see, they've already closed their heart up to their spouse, but they decide to open their heart up to somebody else, often a, a co-worker, sometimes a friend, sometimes someone online. And so there's third-party interference that wreaks havoc on that person's soul and on their marriage. But some people, by the grace of God, when they reach the end of their rope in their marriage, decide to look up, to look up to God and say, God, I, 
it's not going to happen without you. I need you, God. And they grab hold of God. May I remind you today that there is a God in heaven who stands willing and ready and able to help you in your marriage. He does. He loves you and he loves marriages. And I praise God who, for those who by the grace of God reach out in their darkest hour and grab hold of God. Grab hold of God. And they start working to rebuild their marriage according to God's plan, God's design, God's blueprint. Today I want us to take a good, hard look at that plan, at God's blueprint for building or rebuilding a strong, enduring, indestructible, fireproof marriage. So if you have your Bible with you today, take it, if you will, and turn to Genesis chapter 1, the very first book of the Bible, the book of beginnings. And the first two chapters of Genesis contain the story not only of creation, but of the very first marriage. After all, who invented marriage? God invented marriage. So take a look at Genesis chapter 1, beginning in verse 27. It says this, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created him. Male and female he created them. And God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. First thing I want us to see this morning is that God had some very high and lofty intentions for married couples. And it's so easy to lose sight of these things in the day-to-day routines of life. But let's be reminded today that as married couples, we are the image bearers of our Creator. We bear His image, it says. Together we are co-creators with God of human life. And together we are co-regents, co-rulers over the rest of God's creation. Image bearers, co-creators, co-regents. Now, whole books have been written on each of these lofty concepts. For our purposes today, let's just be reminded that in God's design, marriage is a regal thing. It is a noble aspiration to be married. As a married couple, you may feel at times beaten down by our culture's disdain for marriage. Or when you're in the midst of a fight or an argument with your spouse, you may look at each other and say, you know, it doesn't feel like we're kings and queens right now. But I want to restate God's viewpoint today, that marriage has his stamp of approval, and that God has extremely high hopes and intentions for your marriage today. Do you believe that? He does. That's Genesis 1. Genesis 2 spreads out God's blueprint in more detail for us. Look at Genesis 2, beginning in verse 18. It says this, The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone, so I will make a helper suitable for him. The man needs help. And all the women said? (laughs) So the Lord God. That was a very robust amen, wasn't it? (laughs) So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep, and while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. 
Then the Lord God made or fashioned a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. And the man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. For this reason, the Bible says, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. And it says the man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. You know, when I read through this passage, I see at least five elements of God's original design for marriage, or his blueprint for marriage. First, I see this. Note that marriage in God's design is between a man and a woman. It says God created them male and female. It says a man shall be united with his wife. Now let me say this. We do not hate gay people around here in this church. We do not condemn gay people. Maybe you're here today and you have friends who are living in that gay lifestyle. Or maybe you have a son or a daughter who's involved with that. Or maybe you yourself are experimenting with that lifestyle. I want to say to you, we do not condemn you or hate you today. This church is not like that. We love you. God loves you. But to be true to the Scriptures, I must tell you that God, the God who made us, is not an advocate of the homosexual lifestyle. And he is certainly not an advocate of gay marriage. Same-sex marriage is outside of God's design. It is a departure from the original blueprints of marriage. And I'm convinced that no individual or government has the right or authority to tamper with that decree. It's God's call. It's the call of our Creator. Marriage is to be between a man and a woman. Second, marriage is about companionship. Would you say that word with me? companionship. That's a great word. God looked at the man that he had created and he said, you know what? It is not good for the man to be alone. Now imagine being Adam for a moment, okay? You've been tasked with the assignment of naming all the animals and God is bringing them to you so you can look them over and give them an appropriate name. So this pair of animals comes along and you say, Lion, you look like Mr. and Mrs. Lion, so I'll name you Lion. And there, you are Mr. and Mrs. Alligator, and you look like a giraffe, Mr. and Mrs. Giraffe. And you over there who, who has the long snout and you're looking up ants, I'll be real creative and call you Mr. and Mrs. Anteater. How about that? And so pretty soon Adam realizes something. Hey, wait a minute. How come everything else in nature comes in pairs, couples, but I'm all alone? What about me? And God said, you're right, Adam. It's not good for you to be alone. I'm going to create right out of your own body a companion for you. And God did just that. And he did a pretty fine job, too, with that. When Adam saw the beautiful companion that God had created for him, and remember, she was naked. His eyes, I'm sure, got as big as saucers. And he looked at Eve and said, Whoa, man! And God said, That's it! Whoa, man! Woman! Woman! Go with that! We'll call her woman! Sorry. Had to throw that in. God created woman. Was it that bad? 
Friends, know this. In God's blueprint, marriage was designed for companionship. God created beautiful Eve for Adam so that he wouldn't be alone. God knew he needed a companion. Marriage is for companionship. I get a little queasy about married couples who don't seem to want to spend much time together or who aren't willing to put the effort in to to spend time together. I think if you're too busy to spend very much time with your spouse, that you're too busy. Marriage is about companionship. And love is often spelled T-I-M-E, isn't it? Time together. Time together. If we're not interested in developing deeper companionship with our spouses, I think we really need to look deeper and find out what that's all about. Marriage is between a man and a woman. It's about companionship. Number three, marriage is about partnership or teaming up together. God said, I'm going I'm to make a suitable helper for Adam. And you could substitute the word partner or teammate there. A suitable teammate. Around here we talk a lot about the importance of teaming up and connecting with a team. But may I remind you that your first teammate, if you're married is your spouse. God's intent is that we team up with our spouses together. I get my notes together here. That we team up, that we live and love and serve together as teammates. As teammates, okay? So if you're married here today and you're sitting next to your spouse, would you just look at them right now and say, Hey, teammate! (laughs) Tell them this, we're on the winning team together. And we are. Teaming up. Partnering up. Shirley and I are teammates in many, many ways. We're a prayer team. We're a parenting team. We're a ministry team. We're a life team. And have been for many years. Marriage is about teaming up. But sometimes we get confused about this and we start to think that good teams are made up of teammates who are exactly alike, identical. But is that true? It's not true. But so often, instead of valuing and celebrating our differences, we have thoughts like this. Why isn't she more like me? Why does he have to be like that? And the differences that were meant to be complementary can pull us apart if we're not careful. And we are different, aren't we? Men and, wif- men and women are quite different. When I look through my files this week, you know, people send me stuff. And some of it was too good not to share on this point. Say, are we really that different? Yeah, think about it. Think about when it comes to nicknames, for example. If Laura, Suzanne, Deborah, and Rose go out for lunch, they will call each other Laura, Suzanne, Deborah, and Rose. But if Mike, Charlie, Bob, and John go out, they will affectionately refer to each other as Fat Boy, Godzilla, Peanut Head, and Dog Breath. (laughs) How about money? A man will pay $2 for a $1 item that he needs... A woman will pay $1 for a $2 item that she doesn't need, but it's on sale. (laughs) And then there's bathrooms. A man has six items in his bathroom, a toothbrush, shaving cream, a razor, a bar of soap, and a towel from the Holiday Inn. (laughs) The average number of items in the typical woman's bathroom is 337. A man would not be able to identify most of those items. 
about the future, how we think about the future. We're different. A woman worries about the future until she gets a husband. A man never worries about the future until he gets a wife. How about marriage? A woman marries a man expecting he will change, but he doesn't. A man marries a woman expecting that she won't change, and she does. And how about this one? (laughs) Men wake up as good-looking as they went to bed, but women somehow deteriorate during the night. (laughs) Yikes. I didn't say that. One guy said, well, men and women are different, but men are happier, and here's why. Your last name stays put. The garage is all yours. Wedding plans take care of themselves. Chocolate is just another snack. You can never be pregnant. You can wear a white T-shirt to a water park. You can wear no T-shirt to a water park. You never have to drive to another gas station restroom because this one is just so icky. One mood all the time. You almost never have strap problems in public. The same hairstyle lasts for years, maybe decades. You only have to shave your face and your neck. And you can do Christmas shopping for 25 relatives on December 24th in 45 minutes flat. (laughs) The men are happier. Maybe. Maybe not. (laughs) Look, as married couples... We can allow our differences to pull us apart or to draw us closer together. We can laugh at the differences or we can lash out at each other. We can allow our differences to complete us or we can compete against each other. It's our choice. With God, all things are possible. Maybe you're here today and you say, It's not happening. We're just too different. We're just too different. We will never get it together. I want to say to you, no. No. With God, all things are possible. If together you will come to your Creator God and and cry out for His wisdom and His mercy and His grace and His strength and His perspective and His insight, you can come together. You can overcome the barriers that have grown up between you. Do you believe this today? With God, all things are possible. God wants your marriage and mine to be a beautiful picture of teamwork. He really does. The fourth element of God's design speaks to something that sabotages teamwork. It undermines trust, which is the underpinning of all solid relationships. Talking about third-party interference. You see, God is very clear, number four, that marriage is to be exclusive. Would you say that word? Exclusive. After God invented marriage, he basically said, Thou shalt not permit any interference. A man shall leave his father and mother and be united, joined to his wife. No interference. Say that with me. No interference. Listen. Threesomes are outside of God's plan. Affairs, whether they are sexual or emotional, are way outside of God's plan. A total deviation from his blueprints for marriage. Any interference from any third party, real or virtual, is outside of God's plan. 
I've been praying all week for the convicting power of the Holy Spirit right now at this moment to bombard the heart of any spouse who's dabbling or playing around outside the foul lines of their marriage. I read in my devotions this week this verse, and I'm praying it for you today. 1 Corinthians 4, 5. That God will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of men's hearts. Over the years, I've prayed with a number of spouses who had suspicions, who suspected something was going on with their spouse but weren't sure. And we sat down and prayed together that God would do just this. That God in His mercy would bring it to light, would expose it, would bring it right up into the searchlight of His truth. Not because I hate spouses, but because God in His mercy wants truth to prevail in a relationship. And as long as a spouse is keeping something secretive, hiding something. It's like they're pounding coffin nails into their marriage every day. So I pray for you today. If this is you, I'm praying God will expose you. I'm praying you will be caught. I'm praying that God in his mercy will answer that prayer and bring it to light. And as painful as that will be for you, There is no restoration. There is no reconciliation until the truth comes to light. Nothing is impossible with God. Do you know whose job it is to protect the exclusivity of your marriage? It's your job. You know whose job it is to protect the exclusivity of my marriage? It's my job. I am charged with that responsibility. So married couples, I implore you today, don't allow work, friends, hobbies, or that cute girl at the office to wreak havoc in your marriage because they will if you let them. Marriage in God's design is to be exclusive, exclusive. No interference. Leave everything else behind, God said, and cleave unto your wife. And since I'm already meddling, let me add this. It says a man should leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. And that infers what? That sometimes the interference can come from parents, even well-meaning parents. So parents, I would ask you, don't stick your nose in where it doesn't belong. Don't let them run home when it gets a little hard or a little difficult or there's some turbulence in your son's or daughter's marriage. By doing that, you're not helping. You're working against them and against God in that situation. You're interfering. Marriage is to be exclusive. The reason God is so serious about this is because of this final piece or element of God's blueprint. Marriage is about becoming one. Becoming one. Notice the two phrases God used in Genesis 2. First he said, be united with your wife. The word literally means to stick together like glue. Be glued to your wife, God says. And then he said, the two shall become one flesh. Two become one. 
This uh, movie I've been talking about and promoting, Fireproof, has a scene in it where this is uh, played out kind of in an interesting way. So uh, I grabbed this clip, and I want you to take a look at it up at the side screens right now. You know, sometimes God brings someone into our lives to tell us the truth. And we don't want to hear it. But we need to hear it, don't we? Today I want to be that watchman on the wall that looks you in the eye today. You husband, you you wife, I want to look at you today and say, do you really want to opt out? Really? Does the grass really look that much greener on the other side of the fence? Do you really think it's going to be so much better? In your heart, you're already checking out. You're already putting some emotional distance between you and your spouse. Do you really want to go that route? Do you? I could parade people up here by the dozens who would say, you don't. You think you do, but you don't. In God's design, marriage is to be a permanent union, a lifelong covenant of oneness and intimacy. That's his plan. And he stands ready with all of his power and the angels of God to help you if you'll turn to him. One flesh, it says. Automatically, our minds go to the sexual relationship, and certainly one flesh includes that, the sharing of our bodies. But one flesh is a concept much broader than than just the sexual relationship. It is the total sharing of our total being with our spouse. Total, complete union in every way. Physical, sexual, financial, emotional, spiritual union. It says that Adam and Eve were naked and were not ashamed. That means no secrets, nothing to hide, Total oneness, getting completely naked with each other. Oneness. That's God's original design for building a marriage that can withstand the firestorms of life. In God's blueprint, marriage is between a man and a woman. It's about enjoying companionship. It's about teaming up. It's meant to be exclusive. And it's about striving for oneness. And that's the message of Genesis 2. And there's Genesis 3. Genesis 3 tells us why our marriages often don't look like that. Sin entered the world. In a word, sin. Bad choices, selfish desires, and sin began to corrupt human beings and corrupt marriages, break them down. And we know this, that with sin came secrecy and shame and hiding and hurt and deception and the desire now to dominate each other instead of serve each other. And with all of this, marriages began to slide farther and farther and farther away from God's ideal, from God's blueprint. But you know what? Here at New Life, we believe that Jesus Christ came to this earth to change that. To restore human beings, including husbands and wives, to God's original design. He came to defeat the power of sin in our lives and the destructive nature of sin in our marriages. He came to defeat the devil who is bent on destroying our marriages. 
And he came to give us in our marriages a hope and a future. And he came to form a community, like we've been hearing about the last several weeks, a community, the church, where broken people and broken marriages can find help and can find hope. See, around here, we believe that we need each other. Would you say that with me? We need each other. We do. And we believe that nothing, nothing is impossible with God. And we believe that Jesus Christ is our hope of restoration. So I want to ask you something this morning. If you are married and you're here today with your spouse, I want to ask you right now to stand, if you would, and just... Grasp each other's hand, and I'm going to ask my wife of 25 years to come up and join me and hold my hand. If you're married today and you're, you're here with your spouse, I know some of the others of you are single on Sunday and you struggle with this, but just bear with me for a few moments. This is my wife, Shirley. Do you all know Shirley? And... Um, Can I just share a pastoral word with you for the next few moments? You know, marriage is is hard work, is it not? Because of the things we've talked about, because of sin, because we are flawed, imperfect individuals brought together from two vastly different backgrounds in most cases. Because there's the enemy of our souls who would love nothing better than to drive a wedge between me and my spouse and you and your spouse. Because of all those reasons and others, marriage is just hard work. It is. If you see a a married couple who just seems to be enjoying closeness and intimacy after years or decades of marriage, no, they've put in a lot of hard work to achieve that. And we should look up to those folks. I just want to say a couple things to all of us. I hope and pray that you will connect in a small group if you haven't already soon. Because it's in that kind of setting where we flesh out the things that we talk about here on weekends. And this week, many of our groups will be talking about marriage and the themes that we've talked about today and try to flesh out, you know, oneness and and teamwork and companionship and all of these things. And and how does that really flesh out in our lives? And I, I hope that you will. We need that because we need each other. The other thing I want to say is, you know, many of you are seated and you are single. And I love the fact that our church is so diverse and we have married folks and single folks and yet we are one. And I want you to know that the marriages in this church need your prayers. They are under attack. They are under assault by the enemy. The truth were known, even today, right now in this room, there are some some couples who are probably thinking about just cutting and running, opting out. And so you who are single in this church, I want to ask you and invite you these next few moments to reach out your hand towards a married couple standing near you and maybe just put your hand on their arm or their shoulder or their elbow and just pray for them, would you? Our married couples need your prayers. We really do. Maybe you want to get up and go to someone that you know who you see standing that's in your group or your friends with or you minister together with. You can do that. You know, it said the couple that prays together stays together. And I want to say the church that prays for its married couples, its marriages, is truly a wise church indeed.
So we're going to take these next few moments, and I ask you to pray for those standing around you who are married. And then in just a minute or so, I'll, I'll lead us all in a prayer. Let's pray. Father, as a church together today, and as dozens and dozens of married couples, we stand today together and we say, we need you. We really do need you, God. All of us, every single one of us, have come to points in our marriage where we were struggling, where we maybe even became disillusioned, wondered if there was any hope. Some are there today, right now. Father in heaven, Creator God, we need you. Would you please come to us, invade our lives, invade our homes, invade our marriages, God. Lord, I pray for every married couple standing right now who is under assault from the enemy. God, we take the name of Jesus on our lips today against the enemy and we say, leave us alone. We are blood-bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. We worship Jesus at the foot of his cross. We know who we are. And we know whose we are. And to the enemy we say, flee. Father in heaven, we claim for ourselves your power, your grace, your strength. Lord, where there seems to be no hope and just just darkness, would you infuse a ray of light into that situation, even today, even in this moment, and say, With me, all things are possible. God, may there be stories to be told of the mighty power of God in our lives. Thank you, Lord. Help us now, we pray. I ask these things in the precious name of Jesus and all God's people said, Amen. Amen.